Welcome to episode one of the Face Down Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast, hosted by yours truly, Joshua Dickerson. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing some of the more prominent figures in Yu-Gi-Oh!, getting their opinion on the game that we all love. So before I get into it though, I want to quick give a quick shout out to Justin Stone, who made that really, really, really cool intro beat for us. Um, you can find him on SoundCloud, Instagram as Violent Swami. That is Violent S-W-A-M-I. Today, we have a YCS topping player, one of the best young players in the UK, and a member of Tier Zero Gaming on the channel. And that is, of course, Mr. Benjamin Robinson. We're going to be talking about Ben's history in the game, his opinion on remote dueling, just how much it actually differentiates from in-person play. And also, we're going to be talking about the remote duel YCS. You know, the one that just took place in Europe over this past weekend. Amongst much, much more Yu-Gi-Oh! content. For those who know me, and for those who don't, I'm going to give a quick, like, introduction of myself. So, I'm Joshua Dickerson. I've been playing this game for about four or five years now. I've only really been competitive for probably about the last year or two. I've been taken really seriously. Um, some of you might know me from, like, I won uh, the Remote Duel Invitational Qualifier, and I was the absolute idiot that decided to put Altergeist in the actual European Qualifier. So, yeah, I just thought I'd give a quick brief history of myself, for those that might not know. Um, but for those that do know, you all know I've been talking about this podcast for absolutely ages. Like, I, I finally got around to doing it, guys. And I'm really, really happy but this is my first time doing something of like like this. First time editing, first time interviewing people. So if it sounds a little bit shaky, you know, just go easy on me a little bit. It'll improve, it'll improve in time. But that I am very much open to criticism, feedback and all sorts. And you can send all that to me on social media. I will be mentioning the social media in the outro of this. And you can all like follow us there, talk, interact. You can do all sorts of stuff. But other than that, this conversation is really, really interesting. You can get some great insight into one of the best young players in the UK, like I mentioned. And yeah, it's it's really good. I hope you all guys enjoy it. So, without further ado, this is Benjamin Robinson. Right, before we get into things, why don't you just give us a quick, brief rundown of your history in this game? Uh, so, as Josh said, I'm a YouTube player from the UK. Uh, my, I'm sponsored by Tizio Games, and I have a couple of tops. I topped the recent Mudra YCS. I have, I came top eight in YCS London 2018, and I have two national stop cuts in 2017 and 2019. I did it in 2018, so. Nice. So how old were you when you first started playing? And then how old were you Probably. when you got your first top? So... I probably stopped playing when I was, but like the first nationals I attended was when I was thirteen. <laughs> but I never did like I never did Dragon Duel stuff. You didn't do the Dragon Duels. No, I was always too old for Dragon Duel. I have never done Dragon Duel. What even is the cutoff for Dragon Duel? Uh, I believe it's age thirteen or twelve or something. Nice. I honestly don't know, but I I always know you. I know I was always too old for it. So my first nationals was when I was thirteen, but I only got. Like top one twenty or something. My first top nationals top cut, I was fourteen, which is twenty seventeen, and my first YCS top, I was sixteen. So in the space of like essentially what like two three years, you managed to go from 
just a kid playing the game to someone who's topping events like regularly. Yeah, I've got a pretty high consistency rate for topping events now. I'd say. Yeah, that's great. Like, oh, I like topping big events. Oh yeah, of course. What about regionals and stuff? Did you like when did you first go to a regional? When did you first get your first regional top? Um, my first. I've been. I honestly can't remember what the first regional I actually. I think I do. I think I topped the first regional I went to. <laughs> Typical. Because um, I was, again, I was probably like twelve, thirteen, but it was a regional in Landudno, forty people, I believe, and I, I can't remember where I got in. I got in Swiss, but it was somewhere within the top eight. I think it was probably around fifth or sixth. Because I was playing, I think it was Magispector Magicians, with just Kieran Control. Yeah, that was one of my favourite, um, well, it's actually one of my first decks I ever played, but um, I was slightly older than you when I first started playing, I was like 19. But no, no Magispectors were, they were pretty good back in the day. I do miss them. So yeah, after... My, my so main what? results kind of thing started, a lot, they started um, developing a bit later on than that. Yeah, but even as like a what a twelve year old top in a regional, that's pretty insane. There's people out there in their like early twenties who still haven't got their regional tops, and I'm saying that as a person who also still hasn't. <laughs> and literally, that's like a twelve year old. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so after YCS London, you joined Tier Zero. Uh, did they contact you or like what happened with there? Like, how did that go uh, about? So I didn't. Actually, I didn't join it directly after that YCS. Okay. I ended up having, going through another team first, uh, which I personally wasn't a fan of um although i won't name the team just for so i don't want to completely yeah we're not calling people out on this podcast don't worry <laughs> but i didn't i wasn't a fan of that i ended up joining tier zero in actually the very start of 2020 after they messaged me after i topped a regional in liverpool i believe about third at that event second or third i can't quite remember I think I briefly actually, I got... remember that. I remember you showing us like a message or something one um, a while ago now, but I do remember that. Yeah, so th- that was, of course, that's one, the one time I played Altergeist, but uh, I'm not a big fan of Altergeist. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I completely disagree with you there because I've seen you play that deck multiple times, and if someone plays a deck multiple times, it clearly means they like it. So, you know, this yes, is a safe I space. I played it twice. This is a yeah. safe space for Yu-Gi-Oh people. Ben, you can tell us that you like Altergeist. It's completely okay, okay? I hate Geist. Anyway, <laughs> um, so no, I've known some of the guys on there for a while. I've known some of the guys on there for a while. I talked to them at events and that kind of thing. And it's just quite a nice group. Yeah, I think That's it's really important. It, really. Yeah, no, I think it's really important to be able to, like, when you're playing this game, have friends, have even a team, like, people that you get on with people that share the same ambitions and goals as you because it's really hard to be on your own in this game so i feel like using every resource imaginable what you can get your hands on is perfectly like it's yeah advised. i mean you've got you've got teams like um eman games which they have i don't know the exact job but i've have they got like 30-ish members or something now wow and i feel like because my team to zero is a lot smaller it's more of like a friend group kind of thing which I think is very nice for the game. Well, yeah, of course. It's very hard to be on a team with people who you don't necessarily know because whilst you can give generic advice to people, you don't really know what, how someone learns without actually knowing them as a person. Because people yeah. learn so many different ways. Like, obviously, with being in sc- even in school and stuff, I struggled with learning through the typical like education system, but it wasn't until college and university where I started like improving my grades because there's so many different ways to learn, and you don't learn that about someone 
until you get to know them as a person. Yeah, I'll be honest, I don't know about that stuff, but yeah. I definitely like, think that. Um, so we hey, often... Do you want to move on to a topic? Yeah, sure. I was going to ask, though, when we often see like a lot of people, the like, top regionals, the nationals, and even YCSs, and whilst like these are great accomplishments, I think like the difference between a good player and a great player is consistency. How do you stay consistent in this game? Um, consistency is the thing that most that a lot of people struggle with. So, people will get these breakout events. I think you've had a break. So, I classed that you'd had a breakout event at the Remote Draw Invitational qualifier. Yes. But a lot of the time, like unfortunately with yourself, you haven't been able to actually. You haven't been able to capitalize off it that much. Like you've had some decent results afterwards. Yes. But you haven't been able to replicate that kind of consistency. Of course. Again. Yeah. Oh, and for those listening who don't know, I, I won a remote limitation qualifier about four or five months ago, and I've only really made like top sixteen in the following extravaganzas. So it is very hard to be consistent. I thought I'd give a bit of a background for people that don't know. And I'd like to point out I got second at event, and he was using my list. Well, we're not <laughs> talking about that just yet. <laughs> but yeah, so how no, do you I, stay I, consistent? Like, how does how do you do that? I mean, I think just practice and knowing what you're doing i think that's quite that's it really i think it's just practice and getting the right mindset i've definitely agree with the last part getting into the right mindset it's so easy to tilt yourself um just from my anxiety about the event or if something's happened during the event it's really easy to tilt yourself have you like been tilted in the past before and how did you get over it um i mean of course everyone's experienced some kind of tilt yeah but it's something that I'm not sure. It's one of those where you kind of get lo losing is going to happen. Like mm -hmm. quite often, you can't avoid it, or you'll misplay in top cuts. Like misplay in top cuts is a great example because if you don't get over it, then you're not really going to be able to go forward and just try and learn from it. I know it's very the typical advice. Yeah, no. That... Sometimes that's the best advice though, because what I found for myself personally is like I think it was maybe around around six or seven. It'd have been around six extravaganza, the one that I ended up winning and stuff. I really misplayed and I ended up losing a singular game. And I was like, oh, this is going to happen now. I feel like, oh, I've lost this one. I'm going to lose the next one. But I just like took the break in between the games to just take a deep breath, get a drink or something, and then go into the next game with a complete change of mindset. And it's the same for people as well who have like a bad tournament experience. Say if you've lost a game because you felt like you've been cheated or you don't feel good enough and stuff. You just got to take a deep breath and like compose yourself really. There's also a sense of pressure once you've got the, I think for a lot of people, once they've got like that first big event top mm -hmm. or even not big event, I don't think the invitational qualifier for example was a, like a very big event. No, it's like it a regional. Really it's like a regional. Yeah, it was kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, with a few extra people. <laughs> yes. A and few a few extra, extra and, and top cut as well, which is not like a regional lull, but you know, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I feel like with that kind of thing, you feel like once you do very well and you've got the spotlight on you a bit, mm -hmm. uh, some people do end up kind of crippling under the pressure at other events. Yes. So because they feel like, oh, I've done well in this event. I've now got to do well in the next event kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I think there's going to be a fine balance as well between the fact, like, say you top a YCS and you struggle for the future. 
a lot of people think, oh, I've already done it once, so that's it, that's like enough. And whilst it is, obviously, you can be proud of yourself for doing that, you've got to treat each new event as it, it is no guarantee that you're going to top an event. You have to put the work in. You know what I mean? Like, just, know, because you, yeah, just because you've done it once as well, you've got to have I the mean, right this, mindset. It was kind of like that with me, because, well, not exactly, but because yeah. I had, because I also had nationals tops. And the amount of events I've been able to travel to, like, pre-COVID was very limited mm-hmm. just because of age and that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so I only had the one YCS top mm-hmm. and then national stops. So it, I didn't want... So some people can see that as a bit of like a, a one-trick thing because yeah. you don't have the evidence of consistency because you only have the one YCS top. Mm-hmm. In my case, it's slightly... It was a bit different because I only... I'd only entered like two YCSs or something. I mean, being the, yeah, being YCS, uh, YCS London, and then the next YCS London. I mean, having a fifty percent like that's like fifty percent, right? That's one out of two. That's like that's not bad I mean, at all. I've been to four YCSs. I've been course. to four YCSs now, including the one that's just all the weekend. I've top zero, so you're definitely doing better. I mean, I've got two now because I did top the. Oh YCS yes, well. we will be talking about that uh, in a short while. Um, it's like it's obviously it's no secret that we know each other rather well. Um, one of the things that I've learned from you that I found to be extremely beneficial is just how the importance of having a side plan. Can you like talk us through the whole process of what cards you want to side in, and then how do you decide what to take out in between the games? So I think this goes hand in hand with another point I wanted to bring up, which I don't, which I think I forgot to mention beforehand with how are you going to do this? Mm-hmm. But I want to bring this up anyway, because I think I showed you my testing for the YCS. So a siding plan is important. Yes. Uh, we have to, for siding plans, a lot of people will just like, they'll put 15 good cards in their side deck. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to, I'm afraid of uh, Drytron, I'm going to side some cycle readers, I'm going to side Drolls. Uh, I want to have some back removal, I'm going to side Evenlies or Lightning Storms, something like that. And then that's how they fill 15 cards. Yeah. Uh, but what... And of course, they do consider the matchups as well. And like what their deck is weak and strong against, which is great. But you need to consider what you're siding out. And I feel like not enough people do this. It's very, very simple. Um, you just... Side, just make sure you know what you are siding out before. And beforehand, that's about it, to be honest. <laughs> I've noticed as well in some of your lists, you've actually played like a one of to make your siding out easier. Do you do that often? Or like, because I've seen it with like um, a ghost bell before in one of the lists. You played a singular ghost bell just to make your side deck an easier. So I did that again. I did that the YCS as well. I ended up playing 41 cards with a singular copy of Talents uh, because one Talents added to some consistency package, which I can go over later. Yes. But it's also made. That 41st card made my siding plan against next like Tri-Brigade much, much easier. Were you also playing the Gamma package in that? Uh, in that, in the Rope by CSCS, I was. And then obviously playing 41 cards as well, like it reduces the likelihood of you seeing the driver as well. Yeah, I mean, that isn't as big an issue because it reduces it by like one in every 250 hands. Hey, I have one in 250 though. <laughs> um, but no, no, that's definitely like... It's great because I've noticed as well. Like I've only been playing, I've been playing the game for about four, four years now, and I've only experienced one tier zero format, and I wasn't really a competitive player. What I've noticed during 
looking back now though is that obviously during tier zero format it is quite like spiral for example it's much easier to side deck but i think for the past what two years we we've always had at least four five decks that have been like insane and i find uh, side decking for especially current format really difficult because there's cards that shouldn't be good on paper like nibiru this format i don't really rate it but over at the ycs i felt like i really needed it because you were playing against like a lot of rogue decks too like mermail for example um how would you take into like consideration about that though like i mean i think for quite often it depends on what event you're preparing for mm -hmm. because you have to consider the event level yes for ycs especially for the rogue ycs uh my side deck was very versatile like obviously i got my plan for the top decks mm -hmm. but i made sure to keep my siding my siding open so that you're going to see some rogue yeah. i don't think there's any avoiding that really and especially since you're going into like 11 round event you've got to keep the side decking versatile mm -hmm. so you've got to have options for everything i so there's tools that can help but aside from that there are tools that can help with siding like uh wideoscope format data is a very very valuable tool in determining the usage so for that ycs um if you look at wideoscope usage it was first and second were flip flopping so it was salad striker then tri brigade then drytron and then virtual world Mm -hmm. and that very heavily correlated to the YCS usage. Yeah. Tri-Brigade you... was in first, then mm -hmm. it was Salad Striker, yep. then it was um, Drytron stuff, then it was Virtual World. Yeah, exact I remember same. I remember looking at the Wideoscope thing the night before, and I didn't actually, like, I underestimated how much people actually use Dueling Book, because it really did correlate. If we, if we look at the, go look at the breakdown right now, you will just see, like, it, it did correlate very, very well. So... That is a very good tool. I, and I personally underestimated that that weekend. I did not expect that many people to be on doing It helped them. me a lot with my siding plan. But of course, that doesn't mean that the that that's going to be representative of Top Cut, as we saw with like, No Sky Striker and Top Cut, for example. Well, I feel like you also have to take into account the win rate ratio of a deck as well, if you're going off of data online. Uh, that's a bit diff. It's a bit different, but it is worth considering, yes. So talking about online events, such as those on Duel and Book, there's one thing we've seen arising, like it's been used before in the past, obviously, but I feel like in the past year, we've seen a huge rise in the usage of stuff like spreadsheets, note-taking and coaching during matches. And we all know that in real life, when you're sat across the table from another player in a tournament setting, it's nearly impossible to be coached, but that's all changed during the pandemic with the rise of Duel and Book tournaments. And then of course the introduction of remote dueling. How do you think this has impacted like people's personal game? Not the game as a whole, people's personal game. And can you actually improve from that? So I think, so if I start with the one at a time, with um, spreadsheets, I think there's two, like, there's two types of spreadsheets. You've, of course, you've got like um, the spreadsheets where you've got joint LCS, you've mm -hmm. got people scouting every person and then listing their deck and all their tech traces. Which, as we've seen in one of the remote draw extravaganzas, someone's got banned. Sorry, Doc banned. They got uh, disqualified from the event for doing something similar to that when it was caught. Yes. And then you've got another type of spreadsheet, which is people have spreadsheets for testing their decks. I think that kind of spreadsheet is perfect. I, or well, fine. I do that kind of spreadsheeting a lot. I did, I spreadsheeted hundreds or actually thousands of hands for my deck lists just to try and 
for very well, for various reasons. But that kind of spreadsheet's fine, but the scouting spreadsheets are controversial. Yeah, they're definitely controversial for sure. Um... Uh, with coaching, uh, coaching is a bit of a diff, a strange one. So there's entire formats which are based off of coaching now, such as you've got all of the the Ironmans and some general online tournaments, not LCS and DCS and that kind of tournament. Yeah, those are very much they they have measures against coaching. Yeah, of course. But your such as your money tournaments, your smaller tournaments, coaching's pretty. You can't really prevent coaching in those, and it can have quite an impact. Well, it could have quite an impact on players, because if someone's become completely reliant on coaching and has entered loads and loads of those tournaments, which quite a few people have, they could become a bit reliant on it and then struggle. In theory, they could then struggle with IRL play when it's not available. Yeah, for sure. I've played in some of these like um, like tournaments as well. Um, and I feel like for these tournaments, they should just do it as like the team ones, really, because it just gives everyone the same level playing field. Oh yeah, team YPSs are also another example of coaching. Yeah, of course. I'll get into that in a second. Like, um, so when real life tournaments resume, how do you think these people are gonna like who become so used to being coached? How do you think they're gonna adapt? I think some of them will be fine. Um. I think some people will be fine because it's I think it's only going to be like the more extreme cases where people have been solely reliant on it and you've got so there are a few names that are, there's a few names a few people who just their names have only come up on these coached tournaments kind yeah. of I feel like the people who may have made their reputation off of just coached tournaments may find a drop-off in results when we were, like, in IRL play. Yeah, of course. Which is why you may be haven't seen them, seen them do well in, you know, remote stuff, because yeah. you can't really coach in remote at all. No, no, of course not. It's very difficult. <laughs> so, do you think there is a possibility at all for this game to become, like, an eSport of some sort? Because if you look at eSports, so if it's a bunch of people on headsets talking to each other and helping each other out... And I feel like we had it. What we had a team YCS in person about if it was twenty nineteen, I believe in America, um, and it was quite successful. A lot of people really liked it. Do you think we could see that become a bit more like? Do you think we could have more YCS like that, or do you think we could have a separate side format where a team like um, structure is going to take place? Personally, I don't think that's realistic i feel like especially with the team side konami's only only like the last few ycs's that can even acknowledge the existence of teams mm -hmm. like with um but i don't i don't see that being realistically happening personally i feel like we were gonna have some more through the ycs's because they are popular events but in terms of teams I feel like it's too difficult to pull off without some kind of automatic simulator because you can't really have multiple people talking about players and coaching in person. Yeah, for without sure. Like saying your to your phone and what you're doing. 
and we all know about the situation with online simulators. Well, yeah, we would like one, basically everyone. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think this game, the way it's been designed, obviously, it was designed to play between two people, right? Yeah, of course. I feel like in terms, of, it could be it could be considered more of an esport, like with how magic has been done, with more like the circuit series kind of thing. Yeah, but as a team game, I don't think it's realistically going to happen unless we're doing something like uh, team matches where one whoever like two teams play against each other and the team gets the most wins kind of thing. But realistically, I don't think there's anything team based that could really go forward with this kind of card game. Yeah, that's fair. So with remote duels being like fifty minutes long as opposed to the normal forty minutes, and some dueling book tournaments not following the current end of match procedures. How do you think that people have become so accustomed to the style of that play are going to be able to transition back to in-person play? Because I've spoken to some people during Mortals who like only started actually playing during lockdown. Um, so you can imagine their shock when they realise it's like they've got 10 less minutes and those 10 minutes do count. I mean, remote is extended slightly by all the cutting and that kind of thing. Yeah. But 10 minutes is still quite significant and time management is a very important part of the game. I feel like it's also kind of a skill that you have to learn over time, mm -hmm. just from playing. And Julian Book itself, like ranked, all that kind of thing doesn't have time limits. Yeah, of course, I've been sat in like some games two hours before, so. <laughs> so I feel like it's going to be an issue. But I think it's going to be an issue with people adapting to it. But yeah, definitely. It's one that's gonna. It's something that will happen over time, where it'll. It'll improve over time, and it, in the long term, it might not make that much of a difference. Well, of course, because the reason they give us the 10 extra minutes in the road was to mitigate for people possibly disconnecting at the beginning and stuff. But I feel like when they change the um, when they change the time rules to what they are now, um, I feel like do you not think we could just switch to 15 minutes in real life? That would be better because we don't have those five uh, five free turns anymore. It's the end of obviously end of the phase. So do you think those extra 10 minutes could improve the in real life game? I mean, I think that's quite subjective. Personally, I'm fine with 50 or 40 minutes, but it's more just how that would impact the YCS. Like, we saw the times between, like, rounds on the YCS as well being quite significant on top of the extra 10 minutes per round. Yeah, that is true. It was, like, two hours so in between it, round one and two, I believe. Uh, It was... No, it was an hour and a half between round one and two. <laughs> and an hour and a half between round two and three. Yeah, that was crazy. But I feel like it's it has quite an impact. Just even if it's just ten minutes over eight rounds of Swiss, it adds up to eighty minutes. Mm -hmm. And we already have complaints about how long some IRL YCSs can go on for. Yeah, we've had that a lot in the past. I feel like that is the reason we actually changed the time rules in the first place because I believe there was some events going to like midnight and stuff. Yeah, starting at what eleven a.m. or something, and then going straight through at midnight was a bit crazy. But then yeah, definitely got to get a bit of a balance. What happened, yeah, what happened to me, I feel like, with time management, I was an event before where I was playing a deck, and I, I got, like, three draws because my time management wasn't the best. How would you go, like, how would you manage your time better in a duel? Because you can't just, like, rush because you might, like, misplay. Then you also can't take too long because you've got to be wary of your opponent playing. I think it's just... A lot of people get too focused on the game, mm -hmm. like, as the actual gameplay, and you have to keep an eye on the clock. Like, a lot of people just kind of ignore it until the last five minutes. Yep. But 
for me, I'm normally wary of it. So with the it not not with forty minutes. Uh, if I just use fifty minutes as an example, because yeah, we've recently we've only been playing with fifty minutes. Yeah, of course. Generally, I'm very. I get more concerned around the thirty minute point if I'm still in game one. Mm. And I'll keep an eye on the time every five minutes or so, or just I'll consistently keep an eye on the time if it hits twenty minutes in game one. Mm-hmm. Because twenty minutes, it it's quite difficult because. You want to keep it so that you can not to manipulate the time, no. but like you want to, you don't want to cheat, but you want to use it to your advantage. Where you don't, if you're in a bad position, in game two, for example, you want to scoop early to make the most of the time. Yeah, of so course. that if you do your full combo, they're still going to have their time to do a full turn, even if they try and play a bit slower to. Door yeah, I've seen time. I've seen people in like game two when say there's 15 minutes left, and I'm just gonna use L Lich as an example where my opponent has literally gone through all their conquistadors, all the Hakuaros, but they're still playing on, and we still got game three to play. So I feel like the scooping early part is very it's useful. People should do it more often, really. It's like no one cares if you've went two one. It you know what I mean? Like it's the match that counts. Yeah, and you've got to be aware of, especially with combo decks, you need to give them time to play their turn as well, even if they're trying to stall. Yes. Because pe- like, people are going to play slowly if they're trying to play for time. I don't think there's any question there. And I don't think there's a way to stop it. It's more, how do you adapt to it? Yeah, I think we've seen that and, a lot with, sorry, um, but we saw that with how you give them extra time. You give them more time. Like, you scoop earlier, you give them the extra five minutes to play through their turn because then you've got your follow-up plan as well yeah i think we saw that with um like <laughs> with um the, the goki deck people were going into time and stuff but uh they were because that deck could do so much um as well as just essentially do nothing like linking your phoenix and goblin into a random link three or something uh that just reminded me of that basically yeah you can just some decks like that can just link t- link climb pointlessly in order to preserve the time yeah so you don't got to be careful um is there anything you particularly prefer about remote duels over real life play um honestly not particularly i think the thing that i prefer like especially the social side you don't get in remote duel yeah the only thing i'd say i prefer is the judges oh how so so not so much in the ycs but like on like day one but like top tables and in extravaganzas, mainly top tables, having a judge in your game constantly is just so much better than having one pair, like 20 to 30, even more tables at a YCS. Yeah, especially with the remote dueling as well, because you can't... We've heard we've heard people complain about the possibilities of a lot of cheating, and whilst it, it doesn't happen nowhere near as enough as people on Facebook would like you to believe... It still can happen, and having that judge there is absolutely, it's so helpful because it puts your anxiety at rest as well, so you can just focus on the game. I mean, people act like cheating doesn't exist IRL, which it does. Yeah. So just having having the judges be more available, like not having to shout around and look for a judge, just being able to <laughs> pack a judge in the judge and come instantly is just much more convenient oh yeah we've all had that image in our head of like you're playing with your opponent your opponent's hand goes straight up screaming judge <laughs> we've um 
And then obviously with the remote doors, they're just there for you, really. So it'd be nice. It'd be nice if we could have more judges at real life events, really. I mean, I think it's that's a whole different conversation about judges, but just having oh, yeah. Even then, it just the convenience of judges is just easier in that in that regard. But that's the only thing I say I would prefer about remote control. That's fair. I'd still, especially with like social side, I'd much prefer the actual. Yeah, thing. I miss what I what I hate, didn't really like about the YCS this past weekend is is that there was a, what, a 90 minute wait in between rounds. And if you're at London, for example, uh, you can go around Comic-Con in real life. You can go for a drink at the cafe or something with a mate. But remember, like, at the remote deal one, it was just so exhausting. Even if the rem- even if the wait between times was similar to how it would be in real life. So I definitely do miss that social aspect, like you said. Yeah. So this ban... Oh, yeah. So we somewhat recently had the July 1st ban list come into effect. What's your what's your opinion on it? Um, honestly, I think it was a decent list. I'm not too big a fan of Engage coming back, but other than that, it's I'm pretty indifferent to it. Like we don't control. I'm very much of the opinion that we don't control the ban list anyway. Yeah. So, just deal with what you get, kind of. I guess so, but do you not think they missed anything? Uh, not particularly. No. I don't know, like, because although it's not doing an awful lot in terms of um, like, torrent results, we've got decks that have been around for years. I mean, I'd like Invoked God, obviously. It's just been around for so long. Like, and it's had zero hits to it, like, ever, I don't think. I mean, I think that's just because it's an engine. I guess. And rather, so. it's more just a supporting engine because. I don't think just playing the Alistair and a bunch of hand traps is going to get you anywhere. You need something else with it, like Mech, Shadal, that kind of thing. Mm. How are you? Um, how are you liking this format? The one that we're currently in. How do you like it? I'm probably not the biggest fan. How come? But that's mainly because I don't have I don't have a deck I want to play right now <laughs> in the format. I think the issue what I've noticed with the product in the past year has been is I think it was what 2019 where we call it the eternal format there was not many decks that came out that year really and we finally got some last year however they made them too good with adamantipate with virtual world and i would not call virtual world too good oh, i sorry, really wouldn't vfd turbo was too good you know what i mean i think vfd was too good i don't think virtual world is too good of course well adamantipate and then for example they released that with block dragon and we were so excited for a new deck and that never even got his chance to shine because it was too broken so i feel at the moment in time with the format, it's, it feels stale because all the best decks have been around for at least a year, if not more. Prank Kid's been around since like 2018. I mean, yeah, that's... I think there's a few... There's a few decks in the future which might start changing that, but we like the Flunder stuff and a few other decks, but yeah. Yeah, the Flunder stuff looks really cool. I'm quite excited for that. It's like October time, I believe, so it's not that, not that far, realistically. Nope, not at all. So this past weekend, we just had the first ever Remote Duel YCS. Nearly 1,800 players participated. And you managed to secure a top 32 first, as you mentioned earlier. What deck, yeah. did, what deck did you play, and why did you play that deck? I played Virtual World because I know it well. That's about it. Because <laughs> you know it well. Oh, thank you, Ben. Right. That's great, guys. Catch me in the... Nah. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I tested about 1,600 hands to try and wow. get the correct consistency. Because Virtual World is a bricky deck. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. Um, like... I'm not, I don't think Virtual is the best deck going forward. I don't quite 
agree with all the hype it's getting, personally. But it works, so... Uh, if at least it's effective, though, because you've obviously got your top 32. Can you give us um, a brief torrent report? Like, how will you match up? How well do you feel like your list performed? Um, I think my list performed pretty well. Like, day one I went 8-0. Mm-hmm. And I won the first the server group for that. But day two, it kind of... I wouldn't say it fell apart, but day two, it was... It wasn't as good for me. Do you think that was just the deck failing you, or was there any other factors? Uh, my top cut match, I could have played better, admittedly. But the other, the rest of the Swiss, the, the three Swiss games, the deck just didn't draw that well. It was more just, like, no names, or, like, one virtual name that got hit, you'd have to pass. Mm. And it just felt quite cloggy compared to all the Tri-Brigade decks I was facing, which could just keep floating with one-card engine, and... Worst case, normal summon, make Zeus yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you um do you remember your matchups? What were they? Um, I remember most of them. So round one, I had a free win because the guy's connection was dreadful. And <laughs> I, no one could see the camera. Typical. <laughs> then it was Dol invoked. So then Dol Dolin invoked round two. Round three was Gren Maju stuff. Round four was Virtual World. Round five, I honestly can't remember. Round six was Salad. Round seven, I also can't remember. <laughs> I didn't write them down. Yeah, round, eight was Inf- round eight was Infernoble. Round nine was Dogmatter. Like, should all invoke stuff again. Round ten was Herman, so that was Trizu. Then Pure Zoo. Then... Prize in top cut. Nice. From all the decks you just listed, then we're clearly in an extremely diverse format. Like it's ridiculous. Oh, sorry. No, the matches I missed were the the match I can't remember. Well, oh. uh, Tri Brigade. Oh yeah. So obviously there's like the best decks and stuff, but there's so many other decks that you just mentioned there that people are playing and seem to be doing rather well with. We saw Cyber Dragon top the NA one recently. That's crazy. I, I was testing Cyber Dragon for like a week. I'm yeah, it's, it's decent. I mean, Mega Fleet does go a little bit brr. So. <laughs> I don't think it's... I'm not sure how it top cut, because the deck does have consistency issues. But it's still a nice deck. Yeah, for sure. Especially with like going second deck as well. I feel like sometimes it can be hard to hand trap in certain positions as well. Like, My issue with it was consistency issues, personally. Yeah, of course. Um, So given the amount of players, nearly 1,800, like I mentioned, the tournament organisers had to split the numbers into seven different smaller servers. So we could only play against the people in our server until day two happened. Do you think that was necessary or was like a better way to organise so many people over Discord? Like, what was your opinions on that? I think that was the only way to do it. Yeah, of course. It was just, because, so, like, it was just so, something to know. I don't like. think it's physically possible to have 900 tables in a single Discord server. Oh yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that as well. I just thought it was definitely worth mentioning because I know there's going to be people listening that haven't played in the remote door one, so it was definitely something very big of a difference. It was quite different. I think... The other way to do it would just have multiple servers with different with like different tables on it, but I feel like that would just been more difficult to organise than necessary. Yeah. And also, of course, lag on the server potentially. Yeah, as well. So I think splitting it up was the best option. Yeah, for sure. And there could have been like another issue as well, saying if we weren't so obviously you can have different servers because of the amount of tables that you need, but say if we were playing against other people from different servers as well, that would just make the tournament so much longer having to jump through servers. No, I mean like, if it was all once if it, everyone was still in the same pool. 
I mean, like that. And then, like, table one to hundred in one server, table two to Oh, right, yeah, yeah, I get you, I get you, I get you. That kind of thing. That was the other way to do it, but I feel like it's just... Especially for judges, that would be a lot more hassle. Yeah, for so. sure, definitely. So I feel like, yeah, like we said, it was, it was definitely necessary. Um, What did you like and what didn't you like about the tournament? Like, the event? I mean, the round times were awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, The times between rounds. For, for the rest, it was fine. R- round one and round two kind of sucked. People's connections weren't the best sometimes. And uh, I know a lot of people, yourself included, experienced some very bad setups in the first few rounds. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely did. It's like, look, we're used to, from, because like, I know we both enter the virtual extravaganzas and other ritual events like that, yeah. which are on a smaller scale, we're used to have, we're used to seeing good ritual setups. Mm-hmm. Because everyone who plays on those, it's generally the same people every time. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely loads of people that have played on like us too, for example. Yeah, I think it's generally the same people every time, and they've all, over time, built up good setups. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and there was a lot of first like with eighteen hundred, there was a lot of first time players, so the setup quality just wasn't the same. Yeah, for sure. I know one thing about real life play that people have called out for a lot in the past, especially those in um, countries where they don't get YCS as often. More people want more YCSs and stuff because if you look at America, they get loads, and then in the UK, we only get one a year, and. It's always in London now because of the ties of Comic Con and stuff. Do you think to allow for more YCSs and obviously for Konami not to have to book another place, do you think we're going to have more remote dual YCSs in the future alongside real life ones? I don't think we will because I think it was so much hassle to organise. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I was wondering because obviously I love a good, love a good tournament. I mean, I'd be fine with having more dual YCSs, but I think it was just so much of a hassle to organise that I don't. I realistically I don't think we'll get one because I feel like they're going to start focusing their resources I feel like Konami just start focusing their resources on the return to real life play soon Mm -hmm. rather than returning to organising more big remote events. Yeah for sure I'd really like though just I love Comic Con every year right but it'd just be nice to have the YCS in a different part of the UK. That's all I'm saying. I mean, the last time we had it with a different place was 2060 in Liverpool. Yep. But And then we've had some... I know it's been shown Sheffield and that kind of place before as well. I but feel... I wasn't playing back then. So. I feel bad for the Scottish and Irish players, personally. I mean, it's pretty far for... London's generally quite accessible like in terms of transport links. Of course, it's the capital, so... But, yeah, it's not ideal. No, for sure. Well, thank you for your insight, Ben. Um... It was really, really interesting just to talk about the remote YCS brief history and all that. It was really, really nice to talk about it. Uh, before we finish up, though, I'm going to ask you five questions that I'm going to ask everyone on the channel in the future when we get more guests. Uh, it's like a sort of like closing segment that might become a mainstay on this podcast. Um, so are you ready? Just five questions, then quickly. Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Um, so question one is, what is your favourite Yu-Gi-Oh deck of all time and why? Um, It's probably... I mean, it's probably Goku, or like something like some of those lines. Just pretty consistent, decent, good combo deck. Yeah, I mean, or Zoo because it's very consistent. Something like something that's consistent, probably like probably Goku just because I'm biased. And I mean, the grind game is amazing. Before we recorded this, we were testing just the the setup just to like make sure it all sounded good, and you were literally reciting Goku combos. So I think it's fair to say you like that deck. I think it's fair to say. I did. I used to like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question I two. Played it. I haven't played it in a while. Oh yeah. Well, it's a bit. It's not that good anymore, really. 
Uh, it's okay. Um, question two. Um, in your opinion, who are the best five best players in the game right now? Look, I always struggle with this question because yep. I don't know. I mean, I think I'm not. I, I can't name five. Like I can't name the best players, but I feel like anyone who's showing very strong consistency, like um, Gabriel Nets, he's showing absurd consistency yeah. in both online and remote events. I'd say he's one of them. One, he'd be one of my picks right now, for example. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, and Herman as well. Herman Hansen as well. Oh, Herman's been so ridiculously consistent, man. He's with that, like, just playing Zoo and uh, Triber is crazy. Um, Question three. Who has influenced you most in this game and how? Um, I'd say probably one of my friends who's helped just helped me get to events, mm-hmm. and he's mainly the reason that I've. He's, like, he helped me get to events. He's helped me test. He's helped me work out all the maths for decks before, and helped me get into that kind of thing, which has helped quite a lot. Yeah, for sure. I... It's probably just like local friends. Really. Yeah, I, I, I don't say the same. I don't think there's been like one person, like one particular person that's been like, oh my god, like so amazing. I just think it's the people that like you go the locals with, and then. Obviously, then you end up traveling with. Um, they can just... I mean, for me, there's one person in particular who's helped the most, but generally, it's all. But the generally, there is. It's all a kind of same. Like if you can include on like a local group. Yeah, for sure. Question four: What are you most looking forward to, product-wise, and why? Um. Well, like Megatons for reprints, and there's a set in up. Whatever the set is in October, I also look. I'm also looking forward to that. Oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it looks pretty good. It definitely is looking good. It's got the Flunder archetype in. It's got the um, the live twin link for, and hopefully, hopefully, might have some staples like cross out that we need. I I don't even know what the set's called. But there's Neither probably, do I. There's probably there's I just there's like Flunder. It's just new archetypes. I want new stuff. Yeah, it would be cool too because I feel like I was it this like obviously if we're in October now, this time last year we had the um, Phantom Rage, which had two new archetypes in, so maybe that's we can get that again. Hopefully. I just want new stuff at this point, so that's all. Yeah, same. I think we all do. Um last question, mate. What advice would you give to players out there who are looking to step up their game just to get their first regional or even their first YCS top? Play a lot. Um it's actually don't even play a lot, just play just practice, know what you're doing, uh, test with, try and get yourself a testing group, just people you can test with regularly, um, and try and test, don't just play games, because people always do that, they just play loads of ranked games, and it doesn't do that much for them, in no. terms of like improving their results. I feel like just testing properly, like actually going through the deck and analysing what you're playing, changing cards and doing even just go doing use their hypergeometric calculator and just work out some of your the correct ratios as well it's also very helpful yeah there's one because there's one thing to be like you can know a deck you can you can play a ranked you can play games but you'll know how to play it but you have to learn the interactions as well uh, i feel like for the ycs i was just testing mostly not even playing the games because i knew the deck obviously off my heart and there's just so much more than playing games like you said you've got to learn just the intricacies. Yeah, I think also just... I know it's not generally looked at, but just basic maths is also just very, very helpful. Because I, although you've got... Because it removes, like, the subjectiveness. Mm. Like, for example, just... I know it's 
very basic example, but desires. Yeah. Uh, people will play two because they clog, but you should not be playing two. I hate two desires on that word. <laughs> yep. You should not be playing two. You should be playing three. Yeah, of course. Um, thanks for that, Ben. Thanks. Um, any shout out that you want to give before we finish? Um. So yeah, shout outs to Tier Zero Games. Uh, best team. Uh, use my code man five five percent off. And yeah, that's about it. I think. With that promo code, is that M A double M? M A A N five. And there we have it, guys. Episode one of the Face Down Yu Gi Oh podcast is in the books. Keep your eyes peeled on our social media for more information on when the next episode will be dropping. And I mentioned in the intro about the social media, and I'm about to drop it right now. So listen up. Facebook is Face Down Y G O. It's all one word. Spotify is exactly the same, and so is YouTube. Face down Yu-Gi-Oh, all one word, Y-G-O. You know, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to Ben for, you know, joining me on my first ever episode, my first guest. I was really nervous starting this, and I'm really happy that I managed to bring this to you guys, because I've always wanted to make content like this. I've always wanted to do it, and now I'm finally doing it. It's going to be great. Hopefully, I can get consistent episodes coming out, hopefully weekly, but don't take my word for it yet. I'm going to let this one settle, you know, see how it goes and stuff. But yeah, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave feedback, comments on who you want me to get as a guest. I'll do my best to reach out. But for now, you all stay safe out there. Have a great day wherever you are and tune in next time.